Good morning. Everybody ready to dive into God's Word? Yeah, excellent. Take out your Bibles. You're going to need those for the beginning, and then we're going to go to a combo account. But we're going to begin in God's physical Word together uh, as we launch off today's teaching, which we're going to need all the time for. So if you could also grab out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, I'll draw your attention to the fill in the blank. Uh, we are in part 55 of our Being Jesus series, and I entitled today's message, Agents of Doom, because nothing says Valentine's Day weekend like Agents of Doom. Yeah, yeah, excellent. It's just bad planning. What we are about to engage with is the third of three serious run-ins that Jesus is going to have with the religious leaders. There's going to be more, but we're now on the third. And this is one where Jesus goes public with a lashing of the religious leaders of the time. You're going to see him get very intense. And, uh, and it's going to look like he's only mad. He is not only mad. He is incredibly sad about the state of the nation that he's come to save and come to rescue. Um, but what we find out is that the religious leaders weren't just wrong. They were really wrong. And not only were they really wrong, but they were leading everybody else wrong. And so they were causing all this chaos and these problems. And if you remember, Jesus really only got super angry at one group. That was the leaders. Because he was saying, listen, you know what I've been telling you. You're responsible to be able to lead my people, you're supposed to know my word. You're supposed to know my heart. You're supposed to understand me. And when you understand me, you're supposed to lead everyone else towards me. But you're not doing that. Therefore, leaders are always held more accountable. However, we can either just look at this message and say, wow, academically, that's fascinating. Good background history. What does that got to do with me? I would like it to be much more personal. And here's why. If God holds leaders more accountable, then he's holding us more accountable. Why? Because anywhere you influence someone, you are a leader. And the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you demonstrates this. Your faith influences those you lead. The fill in the blank, your faith influences those you lead. Now, we would all like to hope that our Christian faith can be run like our parenting. Do as I say, not as I do, right? We all would like to assume that we can pick and choose what people will duplicate about our faith in Christ. That is not true. We would like people to only adopt the positive sides of how we engage with God, and they would just discard the garbage. What you need to know is that anyone you are influencing is assuming you know what you're doing. And they're assuming that you are just like Jesus. If anyone does not know Christ, you're the only Christ that they're coming in contact with. Therefore, they're going to assume that all your behavior is very similar to his. And you go, well, I don't want them to think that. It doesn't matter what you want. It matters what's real. And your faith is bleeding all over the place. So if you say, you know what, this whole Christian, I got enough, that's all I really need to know. If you do not know the heart of God, you're going to bleed out bad theology. It's just how it works. If you and I are comfortable being materialistic, 
we're going to bleed out a materialistic Christianity. If we are all comfortable with being racists, we're going to bleed out racism. And whether you want to teach that or not, it's coming through you. That's why Jesus is always talking about the contents of the heart have to be examined and renewed so that whatever we bleed out there is like him. So therefore, this is a very, very personal message for all of us to listen to him go after the leaders and say, Lord, what part of that is in me? I mean, obviously not the big pieces. You would go, well, all right, I'm not like that. Ah, but how much of our faith are we living just so other people will be impressed by us? You know what I'm talking about? That's really the heart of what was wrong. They had no real heart for God, but boy, they wanted to be impressive to everybody else. So how much of that type of selfishness is in us and bleeding through us? Last thing that I'll say before we dive into Luke chapter 11, verse 29, if you want to turn there, Luke eleven twenty-nine. The last thing that I will say is that Jesus went after the leaders publicly more than once. I took the two main passages of that and combine them together because they're almost identical. However, they're in two different settings. So I then collided them together, put them to try to weave them together into one setting. And so I just need you to know we're talking theme today as opposed to chronology. All right, now that we know all that stuff, let's dive into Luke chapter 11, verse 29, see what God has to say to us. It begins like this. When the crowds were increasing, where tons of people were following Jesus, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. All right, a couple things we need to know. As the crowds are getting bigger and bigger, Jesus wanted to clarify and say, hey, if you're going to follow after me, you need to know a couple things. And I got to let you know, you are growing up in a very wicked generation that all they do is want a sign. Now, what's a sign? A sign means that it's proof of God's presence. A sign means, whether it's a miracle or a healing or whatever it is, it means that God is among us and it's proof pointing to his reality. All right? Now, if we have this sign, what's wrong with wanting one of those? What's wrong with wanting a sign? Moses said, I don't want to go in front of Pharaoh until you give me a sign, right? Gideon said, I'm not going to war unless you give me a sign. And so there's lots of people, Samson's parents wanted a sign, What's wrong with wanting a sign? Actually, it all depends on your motive. Why do you want the sign? Do you want a sign because you want to be closer to the heart of God? Right on. That's great. Hey, if you want to pray and say, Lord, can you give me some encouragement about your presence? Can you share with me, talk with me, be with me, lead me, guide me, whatever? That's awesome. But if your attitude is... God, prove yourself to me because I'm actually God. You're not. Do something fancy so that I may buy into your plan. That's what these guys were doing. And that's why Jesus said, we're not doing that. Forget it. 
Now, he uses a common analogy. He says, no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah. Y'all know the story of Jonah? Now, that's probably one of the most popular ones, right? I mean, we've all seen Veggie Tales, yes? Okay, you know Jonah. All right, it kind of goes like this. In case you're brand new to this whole thing, let me, let me share the story. There's a prophet named Jonah, and a prophet, by definition, is supposed to speak for God. So God taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, buddy, I need you to go do something for me. I want you to go to the Assyrian capital of Nineveh, and I want you to preach for them that they are under judgment and they need to repent. Jonah said, yeah, that's a terrible idea. I'm not doing that. Now, you have to understand, if we want to talk about heavy racism, we're talking about heavy racism right there. Their history is very linked. In 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire wiped out the entire north of Israel, took them captive, stole them away, broke up their families. They have a heavy hatred to the Assyrian people. Now he's supposed to walk into the capital and preach to them. He's going, no, I ain't going to do that. God said, well, that's funny because you're actually my man. So what I tell you to do, you're supposed to do. Well, he buys a ticket to go to the opposite end of the world, right? I mean, not only is he not going, he's going to make sure he does the polar opposite. Well, we all know how this story goes. He gets on a boat, a storm comes up, and over a series of events, the people are going, man, somebody ticked off their God around here because this is not normal. And Jonah's like, yeah, yeah, that's probably me. And then they say, well, what are we going to do? He's like, well, I'm going to have to go overboard. And they're like, oh, well, we really don't want to kill you. And he's like, trust me, it's the only way this thing's going to fly. I'd rather die than go preach to those people. All right, now you got to understand the anger in this guy's heart and the hatred and the resistance. Well, sure enough, they throw him overboard. And as he's drowning, what happens? A big old fishy, yeah? A big fish comes up and swallows him. Now, let's be clear. It was not a whale. That's Pinocchio. Yeah? All right, let's get it clear. One's dad is Geppetto. One is Jonah, all right? And uh, if you mix them, you start going, and Jonah said, I'm a real prophet, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and then his nose grows and all that stuff. Anyway, keep those stories separate, please. A large fish swallows him up, and he's inside the fish how many days? Three days. How many days was Jesus inside the tomb? three days that is the sign that they are going to receive he said if i'm going to give a massive sign to the entire nation i'm only going to give one and that is i'm going to go in the grave three days i'm going to come out because i have the power of life and death i will resurrect i will then rise to the father and i will demonstrate that i am who i say i am to this generation that's all you guys are going to get all right then verse 31 the queen of the south or the queen of sheba will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And seriously, check this out. Something greater than Solomon is here. All right, y'all know this story? What happened was, is that there was three initial big dog kings in Israel. The first one was Saul. The second one was David. And the third one was his son, known as the wisest man in the world. His name was Solomon. Solomon was a Jewish king that knew deep truths. Yes, this woman who's on almost the other side of the known world at the time, the queen of Sheba, literal lady, hears about this, pays at her own expense to travel all the way across the area, 
just to hear a Jewish king tell her the truth about how life really works. She then gives all this money to him and all this honor to him and says, you know what you're talking about. So why should she rise up against this generation? Because Jesus said, guys, check this out. It's rather ironic that a Gentile woman, this is called trying to embarrass the Jews. A Gentile woman would give all of her money and travel all this way to hear a Jewish king tell her the truth. Oh, look, I'm a Jewish king right here and you won't even listen to me. And you're Jews. Oh, that's not good. So her actions will stand up and judge that generation going, she had it way better in her heart than they do. Then he uses the Jonah example again, verse 32. The men of Nineveh, that's the Assyrian guys Jonah preached to, they'll rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. That's another embarrassment. Guys, you remember after Jonah did go into that city, he walks in and says, hey, you're all judged. And he wants them all to die. He's like, you're all judged. God's going to come wreck you. And the king hears about it. King said, wait, 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 what's going to happen? Well, you're all going to die. Wait, why? Well, because you're not following him. You're rebelling against him. Well, that's terrible. Guys, everyone in the whole city, everybody repents, everybody mourns, everybody puts ashes, tears their clothes. We're going into fasting because God is mad at us. Well, it brought about a revival in that city. Jonah never expected that. Although when it happened, I guess he wasn't surprised. And he said, I wish they rather would have died. And God said, you have an attitude problem. Anyway, that's a whole different story. But once again, you have, you have these two non-Jewish people, the Ninevites and the Queen of Sheba, listening to God, but the Jews won't listen to God. Ah, that's a problem, right? That's why Jesus is using it as an embarrassment. And then he says this. We've heard these before. Verse 33. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but of course they put it up on a stand so that those who enter the house may see the light. We all know that, all right, makes sense. You don't just light a light and then hide it. You always use it to shine for other people. All right, cool, we got that. But then this one's a little bit more intriguing. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. All right, that is the most cryptic way to say what I'm about to say, okay? The point is actually rather simple. Here's what he's saying. We all look at it and we've been taught one way and it can be this way or another way. Either way, we get back to the same point. Here's the way we've normally been trained in it. Your, eye, your eyes are what? The windows to the soul. Haven't we always heard that? And we always think about it going in that whatever comes through our eyes, meaning if we are looking at good things, if we have a good perspective, if we understand the world rightly from God's point of view, then all that stuff gets filtered in and it's good to us. Yeah, we, that's how we've been taught. What's interesting is the Greeks saw it the opposite way. They saw the eyes of the body like a lamp that whatever was inside would shine outward to the people. 
Either way, it means that our hearts and how we act are connected, right? So if inside we love the Lord, if inside we are pure and holy and good, then we are going to live for the Lord. If, however, we got wickedness and we're all messed up and twisted on the inside, then we are going to act contrary to God on the outside. That's all he's trying to say. All right. Why is he bringing all that up? Because the leadership had bad hearts and they were leading in a bad way. This is where we get into the combo account. Let's throw the next passage up on the screen. It says this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. All right. We've all heard the phrase, practice what you preach. That's where it comes from. It's very common. All it means is do what you say that you're going to do. Don't do something different than what you say that you believe. That doesn't make any sense. But he uses a couple phrases that need some background work. Uh, First of all, who are the scribes and the Pharisees? They are the religious leaders of the day. Now, even though they're similar, they're actually different groups. The scribes are the lawyers. They're the paid professionals that are supposed to know the Old Testament law backwards and forwards. That's what they're paid to do. The Pharisees are a group of non-professionals. They're laymen who are awesome at following the law. In other words, their whole life is consumed with every little detail of living it right. So for the Jewish people, they'd look and consider them both leaders because whether you're a paid professional or whether you're a passionate zealot, I still would listen to what you have to say. So when you think of them, think of them as kind of one big category of people leading the Jewish people. He said they sit on Moses' seat. What does that mean? Well, God gave the law to Moses, right? We call it the Ten Commandments. Y'all remember this? Well, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. In the first five books of the Bible, which are believed to have been written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In those first five books, it spells out what God wanted from the Israelite nation. It was kind of like, yeah, okay, don't, don't murder anybody, you know. Uh, we got to watch out for the adultery thing. We got to, you know, don't steal from somebody, right? We know the Ten Commandments stuff. But the rest of them, there was a lot of other rules and regulations. Now, they were pretty small if you're going to say this is our manual to run our whole nation for thousands of years. But to us, it looks like a lot. And all those things were called the law. So Israel had to follow all of them. Well, then all of a sudden, these guys show up. And they have a good heart to begin with. And they said, man, we don't want anybody to break God's law. That would be terrible. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a fence around it. And what that means is we're going to put so many other rules and regulations that no one will ever even get close to breaking God's law. We're going to back them up about 20 feet. And we're going to put other restrictions in there. What's the problem with that? Who gets to decide what the other restrictions are? And what if you start acting like those are just as important as what God said? That was what was wrong with Israel at this time. They had added 
thousands upon thousands of extra rules to what God said. Literally, it was so bad that it's what sparked Jesus to say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. All that garbage everybody keeps saying has to be on you. And if you don't do everything perfect, you're going to be in trouble and blah, blah, blah. All that weight on your shoulders. I want to just cut the pack off. We're not doing that. Let's go back to what my father really wanted. Right? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I just want to go back to the heart of the father. We don't need to put all that other garbage on there, right? So that's really the heart of what Jesus was saying. But these guys are the leaders for whatever reason. They're doing a terrible job, but they do sit in Moses' seat. They are the ones who are in charge of giving the rules. He said, all right, so insofar as they tell you accurately, I want you to do what they tell you to do. Problem is you can't role model after them. These guys are a mess and he's about to lay into them. Woe to you. All right, we got to figure out the word woe for a second. We don't say woe a lot today, unless we're riding a horse, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> woe actually is two concepts mushed together. Angry, for the right reasons, and super sad. So whatever word you have that's angry and super sad, and you can mush it together, that would be woe. All right? So Jesus is considering this a tragic scenario, and he is going, listen, it pains me to have to get all over your case because it should never be like this. Woe to you. There is judgment coming upon you, he's saying to these leaders, and it's really bad because you're way out of line. So you always think of that phrase when you hear the woe thing, all right? Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. All right, what's the problem with unmarked graves? In the book of Numbers, remember it's in the first five books of the Bible, one of the games that God had the Israelites play was called the clean-unclean game. The clean-unclean game basically goes like this. God is going to use a bunch of physical stuff to make a spiritual point. So he cut out things that were clean and said, these are good. These are unclean. These are ceremonially bad. And what it means is, is if you do any of the unclean things, there's consequences. You're actually not allowed to go to church. You're not allowed to go to temple. You're not allowed to go to synagogue. You're not allowed to worship God publicly. There's a big issue here. You have to step away from God for seven days. So if you're playing a game, you don't want to get busted. Because if you get busted, it wrecks your whole worship time. And nobody wants that hassle because then you've got to ritually clean up seven days. Then you can re-engage with everybody else. So obviously, if you're going to play a game and you know that you get tagged or you're in trouble, you want to avoid that. It's almost like the cooties game. All right? Because certain things are unclean. And now, they're not bad things. They're just considered unclean for the game. So, for example, y'all know about kosher laws, about what you can eat and what you can't eat for the Jews? Basically, God drew a line in the sand. And he's like, these critters you can eat. These critters you can't. You're like, well, what's wrong with them? Are they terrible animals? No, they're just, for the game, they're unclean. These guys are clean. One of the unclean rules was you can't touch a dead body. All right. Now you go, well, what's wrong with a dead body? That wasn't their fault. 
right? No, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying in our game, you can't touch it. As a matter of fact, God laid it out this way. If you're in a tent and somebody dies, you're unclean. Everyone else in the tent is unclean. And every object in the tent is unclean. So now they all have cooties. You got to now clean that stuff up for seven days, wash your clothes, clean all that stuff. Then everybody re-racks and we're all good to play again. But what if you're walking around and you walk over a grave and you have no idea because somebody moved the gravestone? What happened? You accidentally got what? Cooties. Yes. (laughs) You accidentally got unclean. You're like, man, I didn't even know that. That's messed up because now if I'm unclean, everyone I touch is unclean. So now I'm spreading cooties everywhere, right? He said, yeah, the Pharisees are like that. People have no idea the garbage they're spewing. And the whole time they're feeding this stuff to you, you think it's a good idea. You think it's all cool. So now you end up getting their garbage and you start reproducing it and giving it to other people. It's like you're walking over a grave and you don't even know it. You're unclean by their teaching and you're pouring out unclean stuff on everybody else. You think that's going to tick off the leaders? Yeah, it only gets worse. One of the lawyers answered him and said, "Uh, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also, (laughs) right? Because they know they're in the same group. And Jesus said, woe to you, pharaohs, you lawyers too, right? Right off the bat, they were like, "Uh, hey, you're insulting us. He's like, good. How about now? And then he just goes after them. Woe to you lawyers also, for you load and tie up people with heavy burdens hard to bear. You lay them on people's shoulders, but you yourselves aren't willing to move them with one of your fingers. Remember I told you that they came up with thousands and thousands of extra laws? It was so ridiculous. It was, I mean, on Sabbath, what did God want on Sabbath? He wants people to rest. But the way they made it out to be was you can't do anything on the Sabbath, meaning if even the animal falls into a hole, you're supposed to leave the animal there. If somebody gets injured, you're not allowed to make them any better, but you can kind of keep them status quo. And and then you can only walk a certain amount of distance. And if you get there and you can do a certain loophole, then you can walk another thousand feet. And then the whole thing is absurd. He said, all you do is heap all this garbage on everybody and you don't do anything to help them out. You're not helping them navigate it. You're not helping them walk through it. You're not helping them see your little loopholes. You're just being rude. Why did they keep throwing out laws? Because the more and more they could do the laws and other people couldn't, that gave them power. And that's what they wanted. As long as they were the religious leaders and everyone had to do what they did, They're the most important popular kid in school. Does that make sense? And in the hearing of all the people in his teaching, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes and woe to you Pharisees. For you like to walk around in long robes and you love greetings in the marketplaces and you love to have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. And being called rabbi by others, you're the people who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Guys, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. All right, what does all this mean? They did a whole bunch of stuff for show. Man, if I look cool in my robe, all I got to do is get a bigger robe. 
All I got to do is walk around. It's extra long. And, oh, sir, sorry, I almost stepped on your robe. Right? That kind of thing. And you do everything flourishing around. It's all pomp and circumstance. It's how do I make people impressed by me? They love to be greeted in the marketplace. Oh, Rabbi, Rabbi, how are you? Right? Because now I'm famous and there's paparazzi and all that stuff. Yeah? And they're, they love the idea that they're being honored and respected and, and, oh, yes, I'm the one who knows all the truth. They love all that stuff. They're praying out loud, super loud, and they're telling everyone they're praying forever, super long, not because they want to connect with God, not because they have a heart for him, but because they want everyone to be impressed by their super cool words that they keep going on and on and on. These, they're taking advantage of people with their authority. I mean, do you understand why Jesus is so irritated? And then he says this phrase, he said, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. What does that mean? Okay, it goes all the way back to Exodus 13.9. God said in his word, hey, when I give you the law, when I give you the heart of what I want you to do, I want you to have it like a sign on your forehead. Meaning what? I want it to involve and impress what? Your mind your thoughts, your motivations, right? And I want it to be on your hands so that symbolically it's what? The actions and behaviors that you carry out. If I'm going to give you my heart, I want you to think about it and I want you to do it. Does that make sense? Then some Jewish guys went, you know what would be super cool? Man, what if it was like literally on our heads? What if it was literally on our hands? That would be awesome. They then made little boxes, and in these little boxes are four compartments where they would write different scriptures, roll them up on little baby parchment scrolls, slide them into the boxes, close the boxes, and strap them to their foreheads. So literally, they had a box on their head. Now, this box walking around, right? The boxes are in general the same size. Now, this still goes on today. And the whole idea of the heart behind it is super cool. Why wouldn't I want a physical reminder of what's going on? So I have no problem with that. The box is super awkward looking. I get it, right? So if you like ever fly El Al, right, which is the Jewish airline, or whether or not you're over there and see the Orthodox, they still got the boxes going on. And you're like, what is that on that dude's head, right? It's a box with scripture inside of it. Because the boxes are pretty much all the same size, how are you ever supposed to look extra holy? Make the straps super big, right? So then they were making their phylacteries, that's what those things were, super broad. So they'd be like, check me out, man. I got to strap mine on with this huge strap over here. And it was all ornate and everything was fancy. And is, do you think that was really God's point? No, of course not. Then in the book of Numbers, God said, all right, y'all need some physical reminders to do my law. So on the corners of your garment, your robes, I want you to put a tassel. I want you to put a fringe. I want you to weave it a certain way, weave a blue cord through it. It's all symbolic. And as you have those, it reminds you you're a Jew. I want you to be holy. I want you to follow my law. And I want you to live out my heart. Now, that's God's prerogative. He's allowed to make funky looking clothes, right? So he does this. And they were all supposed to walk around with it. Now, this is what Jesus wore. If you remember the woman that was bleeding, she wanted to just touch the hem of his garment. She was trying to touch the fringe. She was trying to, because that's the part that, that hangs out longer. So how did these guys ruin a good thing? 
man, I got to make my tassels huge. I got to make them super long. And so everyone's like, wow, look at that guy's tassels. That kind of thing, right? Everybody's trying. They're wrecking everything good. Why does God, by the way, do all this visual stuff? God seems to be really into visuals. Why is that? Because he had a culture that didn't read books. It's the same reason why the Catholic Church has done what they do. If you minister in an illiterate culture, what do you have to do? Everything has to be memorized. When you're going back into the ancient world before they had books for everyone to read, everyone has to memorize it all. So no wonder we have stained glass windows. Do you know what stained glass windows were for? To tell a Bible story in a picture. Do you know what rosary beads are for? So you can memorize and slide through them very quickly. It's the idea. All these are help tools for people to be able to memorize things and get things done. Because they couldn't go home and just open the book and go, wait, wait, wait. What am I supposed to do? No, no, no. You memorize it. In the same way, Genesis chapter 1 is one big Hebrew poem. Why? So people could memorize it. That's why it's written the way it is. When you look at Psalm 139, every it's the longest psalm in the Bible. Every section starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order. Why? So they could memorize it. Jesus had designed from the very beginning. God had all these visuals placed in there. That's why we do the clean, unclean game. That's why we do it. We have to have visuals to remember truths. All right? Moves on. Jesus said to his followers, man, these guys are doing everything for show, but that's not how we do it. Here's how we do it. You are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah, the Christ. That's, of course, him. The greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. All right, that is not new material to us. I do have to make a couple points. Obviously, what Jesus is saying to his group, we don't do things for show. We don't lord titles over people. That's not the game that we play. If you're going to be proud, I'm going to shut you off. If you'll be humble and walk with me, I can use you. So guys, it's an upside down economy. The greater the title, the greater the servant. If you want to be awesome and great in the kingdom, don't think about yourself very much. Just focus on other people and their needs and worry about them. Guys, we're not going to play games like, oh, you got to tell, I'm your only key to truth. I'm your only instructor. I'm your only father in the faith. I'm your only person. And you can't learn from anyone else. Only me. Do you understand how many cults in the world today operate off the basis of we have the secret truth. If you don't hear it from us, it's not legitimate. Do you understand how dangerous that is? Now it puts that person in complete power. And what if they're corrupt? What if they're wrong? Well, obviously, that was the problem that Jesus was trying to address. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't use titles. Paul, the apostle, used all these titles. He said to Timothy, I'm your father in the faith. He said to the other churches, I'm your instructor, I'm your leader, I'm your teacher. There's nothing wrong with using titles, but you can't own the titles like they're the only people that can do it. Listen, it doesn't matter who it is on earth. It doesn't matter what pastor it is. It doesn't matter what leader it is. Jesus is your guide. Scripture is in your hands. 
You are to follow him, not any human leader. Do we all got that? That's just how it has to go. So he was saying, guys, let's not play that game. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. In other words, if you remember, they would lay down when they ate and talked and hung out together. They would lay on their sides up on one arm and they have one arm to eat with and, and talk with. The Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. Now, he said something about it publicly. The Lord said to him, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You cleanse the outside of the cup and of the plate and the dish, but inside you're full of greed, wickedness, and self-indulgence, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also, you blind Pharisee? First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Give us alms those things that are within, and behold, then everything's clean for you. You're like, dang, that was mean. He totally just asked you over for dinner, and you were like, bah! What was the problem? This was not a normal, let's hang out and do lunch. This was a, how can I have you over so I can mess with you and embarrass you and try to trap you? This is a Pharisee's house that was not on Jesus's team. So Jesus submitted himself to the examination of the leadership. But at one point he just said, no, we're not doing that anymore. You know what? Stop with all that. I understand that my dad set up the clean, unclean game. The problem is you guys have made it so weird and freaky and so heavy. Nobody can even play the game anymore. And it's completely distorted. You guys play this game, right? Oh, everybody has cooties. So before you touch anything, you have to clean every object because you don't want to get dirty. And just in case you're accidentally dirty, you have to wash your hands. And their washing rituals were so intense. It's like they were scrubbing in for surgery. They're just like let the water drip off your elbow and all this stuff and they're they're doing so many fancy things It was wrecking. Nobody could even just have dinner anymore. And jesus said i'm not playing that game anymore If I want to eat just give me the food I don't want to play this game with you anymore. It's ridiculous He said listen what you're doing is you're so worried about the outside of the cup and the cooties game You're not even worried about what's going on in your own heart Oh man, as long as everything's clean on the outside. Oh, as long as everything's clean on the outside. What about your insides? Well, I don't know. I never really thought about that. Well, you should think about that. And then he calls them hypocrites, right? You guys have heard that term before. As a matter of fact, the word hypocrite actually originally meant one who answers. So if you picked up the phone and you said, hello, and they said, hello, you're a hypocrite. Okay, it usually meant one who answers, and what it meant was that in the theater, the actors would do much more call and response. So they would say things to get people involved, and so the actors would do their part, and then they wait for you as the audience to say something, almost like a melodrama. Is that they would go in and they would they would start with a question, and then the audience was supposed to respond, right? Well, that call and response became known as the hypocrite. Well, then eventually it shifted over and it became known, you know what, let's just call the actors hypocrites because they're pretenders, they're actors, they wear a mask, they fake things. And so now actors were known as hypocrites. It wasn't negative, but then eventually it became an insult. Eventually people said, you're not even who you say you are. You're just an actor. You're a fake. That's where the term hypocrite became linked to something negative. And now we know it is that you're a pretender. You're saying one thing, you're doing another. And it's not that you're just inconsistent. You're doing it on purpose. You are putting on this big show and inside it's garbage, right? 
So, says this, but woe to you lawyers, he goes on, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in, and you hindered those who were entering. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Wow. You guys, man, if he keeps this up, they're going to kill him. Oh, that's right. That's how it went. You guys hold the key to the nation. No one's going to rise past their leadership. If you say I'm garbage, no one's going to listen to me. So what I'm saying is you're shutting the kingdom of God. You guys are using your power wrongly. You want everyone to become just like you. What if you're not a good guy? You'll go over all this over over sea and land just to get a convert. Then you finally get a convert and you don't want him to know God more. You want him to be like you. Now he's all fired up for your ideas. Now he's twice as much a child of hell as you are. Man, stop blocking people from the truth. You don't know what you're doing and you're wrecking everybody else's lives. That's why I got a problem with you, he said. Woe to you, you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by that oath. You blind fools. What's greater, the gold or the temple that's made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. You know what he's talking about? No, of course you don't, because we don't play the oath game. Here's the oath game. An oath, you all know what an oath is? It's a promise, it's a vow, it's a covenant, it's a contract, right? It's the, I swear this is true. They ha- Here's why it, it was a game, because normally that would be a lame game. It's an important game because to a Jew, anything that invokes the name of God is binding to death. In other words, if I ever say, I swear by God... That means I would rather die than break that word. That was the way that you would intensify because you just involved God into the contract. But what happens if you want people to think you're serious, but you're really not? Okay, everybody remember the cross your fingers game? Okay, this is the oath game. Cross your fingers game meant you can say a lie, but as long as you cross your fingers behind your back, You're not in charge of it. You're not busted for it. You're not accountable for it because you cross your fingers. Okay, do you understand how dumb and childish that is? This is what's happening and why Jesus is ticked off. The oath game goes like this. They made it into an elaborate system of how they can make it sound like they invoked the name of God, but they didn't. Man, I swear by the temple that is true. They're like, dude, that's where God lives. Whoa, he must be serious. He's like, ah, sucker, I didn't say I swear by the gold of the temple. And, okay, that's why Jesus was going, oh, you're killing me. What are you doing? Even in your dumb game, you have it backwards. The gold's not more important than the temple. And you're playing this game like it is. 
Listen, your whole game is dumb. Stop with it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. All this, hey, how can I lie to you and and make you manipulated so you think that I'm telling you the truth and I'm involving God, but I'm really not so I can do whatever I want. This is the leadership doing it. And he's like, ah, you're killing me. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He's got a lot of these. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and rue and every other herb, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness, and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Okay, that's an awesome line right there. In Deuteronomy 14.22, it says that for the nation of Israel in the Old Covenant, tithing was mandatory. 10% at least, and there was a bunch of other ties, 10% of all the produce of your land, whether it was on a tree or in the ground, 10% was given to support the nation, to support the temple, to support the Levites and priests. Why? Because they don't have any land of their own to make a living off of. So if you don't tithe, people die. So God made it mandatory and said, if you do it, I'll bless you. If you don't do it, I'll curse you. And so it became a very serious issue. They went above and beyond. And instead of allowing it to be the seven main crops, instead of all that, they thought, how can I look more impressive when I tithe? This is how corrupt they are. So they started tithing off the garden herbs. Uh, In other words, y'all know folks, and this might be you, so I'm not trying to insult you. I think you're way healthier than I am. But you know how there's folks that grow wheatgrass and the little tiny containers, like when you go on Jamba Juice and they got the little baby wheatgrass containers, which looks like, well, if I had a rabbit, I would buy one of those. Anyway, it's not important. The little containers with the grass, they would look at them and figure out what one-tenth of that little baby grass thing was. Then they'd clip off one-tenth and bring that to the temple in a little baggie because they're like, check me out. I'm even, look how holy I am. I'm even tithing off my paprika, my oregano. I'm tithing off. And you're just going, this is so stupid. Why are you doing that? The Bible never even suggested you needed to do that. They're like, yeah, no, I'm going above and beyond, man. I'm just tithing. You're doing that, but you won't even do the heart of God. You won't even, I don't know, maybe love on people. You won't even do justice. You're all corrupt, but you gave me your little flakes of grass, did you? This is ridiculous. It's like you're straining a gnat, but you're swallowing a camel. And he was talking about the smallest unclean animal and the biggest unclean animal, right? Why? Because literally they would put cloth over their wine and water so they would never accidentally drink an unclean animal. All insects in the clean, unclean game, they're all unclean. What, how are you going to know if a gnat flew into your drink? Well, I don't know. It could happen any moment. So I'm going to go ahead and cover my drink and drink it through a strainer just so I'll never get a gnat in my mouth. You're doing that, but you'll swallow a camel? Are you kidding me? Your proportion is so out of whack. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you're like whitewashed tombs, which appear outwardly beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What's that mean? In Numbers 19.16, we already found out that walking over a tomb would be bad. So what happens if you have a whole bunch of visitors like for Passover? 
What if they accidentally walk over graves? Well, just to make sure, they whitewashed all the tombs when a festival came into town. They would make them so gleaming white that you could even see them in the dark. He's like, man, that's what you guys are like. You look awesome on the outside, but you're dead inside. Whoops. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets. You decorate the monuments of the righteous whom your father killed, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers in the Old Testament, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. You consent to the deeds of your father, for they killed him, and you're building their tombs. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you going to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I, the wisdom of God, will send you prophets and apostles and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify. Some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you this generation may be charged against you all the righteous blood of all the prophets shed on earth from the foundation of the world, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon and be required of this generation. Whoa, what did you just say? <laughs> Man, you got all these tombs for all the prophets that you guys murdered. You know what? All your crew always, all the bad guys always killed all the good guys. Man, from the beginning to the end, from Genesis, which is the beginning of the Hebrew Bible, to Second Chronicles, which is the end of the Hebrew Bible. Their books are organized different than ours. So he took a sample from the beginning and a sample from the end. He said, you're always killing the good guys from innocent Abel, right, who was killed by his brother Cain, all the way to Zechariah, who was killed for being a good guy. That's all you do. And they're like, well, we never would have done that. You're plotting my death right now you're gonna kill my followers right after i leave what do you mean you wouldn't do that you are doing that that's what you're all about therefore in this generation all of that blood fallen on your heads you realize that within 40 years of jesus saying these words rome sacked jerusalem destroyed the temple and all of jewish religious life came to a screeching halt do you understand that to this day it has never been restored because they have to have the temple in the right place, but they don't even own the land. It's Palestinian controlled. Jesus said, you know what? We're done with this. We're not playing games anymore. You killed the son of God. We're shutting everything down. Oh, I'll bring revival to my land. I will bring revival to my people. The Jews are precious in the sight of God and there will be a revival in Israel. But until that moment, he shut everything down and said, we're not doing it anymore. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Guys, he said, do not get hooked into the bad influence of these leaders. They're a bunch of hypocrites and I don't want you any part of it. When I come back, I'm going to make everything known. So don't worry about it. I'll clear the field and I'll let everybody know what's really going on. But don't you dare take part in their garbage. And he closes with this. 
O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you weren't willing. See, your house has left you desolate. For I tell you that you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What does this mean? You see Jesus' heart for the nation? He's going, listen, I'm coming against the leaders really hard here, but I need you to understand I love my people. I never wanted it this way. I've always wanted you, when things got bad, to run to me, but you wouldn't run to me. You refused to believe me. You refused to walk with me. You refused to worship me. I can't do anything otherwise. But it's not what I want. What I want is to love you. What I want is to restore you. What I want is to revive you. What I want is to make you the nation I designed you to be. I want you to be walking with me and leading for me. But you won't let me. I understand I have to bring judgment. But I don't want to. I understand there's no other way for you to learn and to get this except for me to come down and bring the hammer. But I want you to know that I don't desire the death of anybody. I desire repentance. Just be with me and let me protect you. All right, so what's the point of the message? Do we have any of that stuff going on in us? I mean, I understand they're all extreme and they're all messed up. What about us? I mean, am I, am I studying scripture because I love the heart of God or because I don't want to look like a fool in front of you? You know what I'm saying? I mean, do you understand how motives get mixed? Are, are you praying a whole bunch because you want more stuff or because you want to be with God? Why are you doing what you're doing? I mean, those guys thought they were legitimate. Those guys thought that they, they had all these people around them that kept reinforcing their own views. Oh, no, we are legit. No, 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 we're the right guys. Yeah, we're the good guys. We're the... I understand that we all may agree with each other. What are we missing? What is God's word really saying that we seem to have major blind spots about? But we're all fine with it, right? Hey, I'm fine with your dysfunction. You're fine with my dysfunction. Great. No. What's wrong with our faith? What are we not living out? What are we not doing that Jesus said to do? And not only are we not doing it, we're making everybody else cool with not doing it. You know what I mean? I mean, this is the stuff that I'm thinking through all the time. When I come up here and I stand here and I teach you, I'm bleeding out a culture. What am I bleeding out that's unhealthy? Am I promoting materialism? Am I promoting laziness? Am I promoting something Jesus never wanted? I mean, this is what we all have to examine. Your neighbors think that you're Jesus. What, what kind of message are they getting? Your coworkers, they think that everything that comes out of your mouth is what the Bible really says. Is it? I mean, I get it. It's a whole lot easier to not feel like you have accountability for anything. But is that realistic? Or are we not saved as sinners by grace and bought by Jesus Christ's blood, marching under his banner? And being the salt and light of the world. Are we living up to that identity? Or are we just going, yeah, I'll do my best, whatever. If I feel good, I'll probably work with that. Mm. This is the challenge for us. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father.
you are so patient with us that God, we, <laughs> we have so many mixed up thoughts and things and ideas. But Lord, your love for us is so intense that you're grace filled with us, you're forgiving. But God, I know that that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter to you. Just because you're super sweet to us doesn't mean that we're doing it right. So God, what I pray is that whatever you don't like in this church, in this leadership, in our lives, from this congregation, would you show us and then give us the ability to walk differently? For God, we desire to live for you. We want to shine you. We want to make you proud. And we want everyone to know who you really are. God, be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next time.